If you would please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, I'll be, I'll be reading verses 1 through 14, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, keep your hand here, this is my text, I'll be back to it, and as I read it, I will remind you that this is the Word of God, this is the Word of God. Luke, the second chapter, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first sentence, uh, census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. We will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Lord, as we read Scripture, it always is helpful to put ourselves in, in, the, in the place of, of the characters. Um, Lord, these shepherds were, were doing what they always did, 24, uh, 365 days a year. They had the night shift. They were watching the flock by night. They've, it's monotonous. It's boring. They've, they've done it forever. But it, it was the... It was the best they could do for their families and, and to have a, a source of income. And, and, and in the pitch black, in the middle of the night, an angel appears and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and, and more angels appear and, they, and they're praising God. And, and, and they said, hey, to the shepherds, we have a message for you. We have an assignment for you. We have good news for you. And Lord, in our daily life, in our drudgery of our monotonous day-in, day-out existence, God says, hey, I have good news for you. Jesus is real. Jesus has come. Jesus was born. Jesus has invaded his creation. And it should make a difference. It has made a difference. 
the Lord could make a difference every day, not just at Christmas. So I pray this morning you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to your word. We are so fortunate, so blessed to have your word. God, may we treasure it, I pray. Amen. My uh, Christmas sermon series has been called My Christmas Playlist. And each Sunday in December, we're looking at uh, one of our favorite Christmas hymns. And we're following the same format uh, each week. We look at the, the song's story, uh, behind the music kind of thing. And, and then we're looking at the scripture story, what, what scriptures informed uh, this song, what, what verses were in mind when the song was uh, composed. And then we're looking at the Savior's story, how is Jesus... Um, being proclaimed through this song, and what do we learn of our, of our Savior? This week we're going to look at uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing um, was first published in 1739. The original version of the hymn looks a little different than the one we're accustomed to. This is, was the original version. Hark how the welkin rings, glory to the King of kings, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Welkin, apparently, is an old English word for heavens. Well, let's look at the song's story. Charles Wesley wrote this hymn in 1739. The original text was uh, titled, Hymn for Christmas Day, and was included in the 1739 John Wesley collection of hymns and sacred poems. The carol is based on Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. The first stanza describes the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Which you might notice, however, is in Luke chapter 2. It never really says that the angels sing, right? Um, the angel makes an announcement in verses 10 and 11 and, and 12. And then verse 13 says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now, it doesn't mean that the angels didn't sing, right? That would, maybe, I would assume praising God would be in the form of a, of a song. But it doesn't actually say the angels sing, but yet the song is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The hymn, as we sing it, now dates back, uh, as we sing it now, dates back to 1840. To 1840. Wesley's original hymn was changed from Hark How the all the welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings, was changed to Hark the Herald Angels Sing by George Whitfield in 1754. The second change was made in 1782 with the publication of a new hymnal. And in this work, Whitfield's adaption um, of Wesley's hymn appears with the repetition of the opening line as the chorus. So that was added in 1782, the chorus. In 1840, 
A hundred years after the publication of John Wesley's hymnal, Felix Mendelssohn composed a cantata to commemorate Johann Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. And it was music from this cantata that was adapted to fit the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the tune we sing that we sang this morning is from that 1840 rendition. So that's the song's story. What is the scripture's story? Well, again, it's based on Luke 2, 14. Now, how many of you are familiar with the phrase, the elephant in the room? Okay, good. Uh, you know, what we mean by that is there's, there's, there, there's, there's something that, that, uh, that's painfully obvious, but we try uh, to kind of ignore it like it's not there. Verse 14, uh, I say, is the elephant in the text. All right, let me explain. How many of you grew up watching Charlie Brown's Christmas? Okay. Um, amazing that it, that it has, was made for network TV and remained until, I think, next year. Um, it remains on network TV. Um, but we all remember Linus. And we all remember Linus quoting directly from the King James Version, right? And when he gets to Luke 2.14 from the King James, he says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That phraseology appears in other Christmas songs. Um, next week, we're going to look at I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. This is what we are all familiar with. So we look at verse 14 in a modern translation, something not King James, and we see something different. Why? Why the change? Well, it actually boils down to a single Greek letter. The letter happens to be a sigma, which is the S to us, the S sound. Um, the traditional Luke manuscripts that the King James Version was based upon doesn't have this letter on one of the words. The more ancient Luke manuscripts, the modern translations are based upon, do have it. It's kind of like the difference between a word and a word with an apostrophe S. Now, you can go online or I can, I can give you some sites to look at with, with a much uh, more involved explanation. Okay? This is a, a dumbed-down dumb version. Okay? Um, but it's, but it's, it's kind of like that. It changes the goodwill from belonging to man to belonging to God. So what that means is there are men who are given God's favor. Um, so is, it, is, it, is the focus here man's goodwill or God's goodwill? How does one become the recipient of God's favor? Well, by putting their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. The traditional English translation, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, pronounces peace and goodwill toward all people that is, humanity at large. 
And at some level, this is doubtless true. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. However, the angel's pronouncement in verse uh, 14 um, is certainly a little more restricted than all people. That's why, again, in the New American Standard Version, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. How, again, how does one become a recipient of God's good pleasure? By accepting Christ as the Messiah. Not all people do that. They are not beneficiaries of this goodwill. This is precisely where so much of our cultural Christmas goes wrong. Now, I am not, I am not one who starts listening to Christmas music uh, in November. Okay, um, And I only listen to it in the car when I'm driving somewhere. But I have made a very unscientific observation. And, I, and maybe, you, maybe your anecdotal evidence would be uh, contrary to mine. But it seems like, again, I listen to one channel. Um, but it seems like secular songs have completely overtaken any se- sacred songs at all. I hardly have heard any sacred, you know, Christmas hymns, as, as we would sing in church, compared to all the secular music. Um, and all this music, you know, it all gets to the same point that for some reason, since it's Christmas, everybody should be happy. Everybody should get what they want, right? Don't get me started on Mariah Carey. <laughs> okay. The Babylon Bee, if you're familiar with it, had a headline here recently said, Shepherds Flee when the angels start singing Last Christmas by Wham. Okay, I hate that song too. But, but, but again, it's this idea of goodwill towards men that, that our, our, the cultural Christianity, that our, that our culture has, has seized upon, that somehow because, you know, um, uh, Jesus was born, then automatically uh, things are good. Are things good? No. Um, But if you receive Christ as your Messiah, guess what? God gives you his favor. God gives you his goodwill. So that is why the modern translations say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's know some other things about this text. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want you to notice that Mary was a virgin until Jesus was born. Until Jesus was born. Say, why, why do you say that? Well, look at verse 7 again. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, the word firstborn is used two ways in, in Scripture. Um, one is literal, one's metaphorically. The metaphoric use says that uh, it means that it is, um, it's an honor granted upon somebody. Um, it's, a, it's a 
position conferred on somebody because of, of, of who they are. Um, but the most literal meaning is what we have here. The usage here of she gave birth to her firstborn son is what is most common to our understanding. In other words, I am the firstborn son of Roger and Marie. They had another son, and confusingly, his name is Craig. Mine is Greg. His is Craig. We went through much of life being called by the wrong name. That's fine. Okay. But I was the firstborn son, and then they had a second son. Of the two sons, I was born first. Now, we also have a sister. And of all the children, you know what I am? I'm the firstborn. It was me, then Craig, and then Melissa. So when we read here in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, it is the literal meaning of the word that is meant. Mary had other sons. Mary had other children, and Jesus was the first one. Look at Luke chapter 8. Verse 19, Luke 8, 19. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. You'll notice that he had brothers. This is not talking about the disciples or the apostles. They're already in the, in the text, already in the story. This is his mother and his brothers. Now go back to Luke chapter 1. We do know, of course, that Mary was a virgin at Jesus' birth. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was uh, Mary. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Mary herself told us she was a virgin. Uh, a virgin. A virgin. Um, so we know for sure that she was a virgin at Jesus' birth. But the New Testament, the Gospels reveal to us that we also know for sure she didn't remain a virgin. She's not the perpetual uh, virgin, as uh, Roman Catholicism would tell us. She had other children. Jesus was the firstborn. Keep your hand in Luke and look at Matthew 13. Matthew thirteen fifty five. Is this not the carpenter's son? That was Joseph, of course, his stepfather. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon 
and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? Now notice, there's at this point at least four brothers, two of which appear again in Scripture. The first there in verse 55 is James. James rose to prominence in the church. Look at uh, Galatians 1.9 says, But I did not see any other uh, of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, this is Paul speaking. And when he spoke it, as I'll show you in a moment, James the disciple was dead. So this is not James of, of John's brother, the sons of Zebedee. This is uh, James the Lord's brother. All right. Uh, Acts 15.13. After they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, brethren, listen to me. So again, this is James, the Lord's brother, who has come to a position of leadership in the church and said, listen, uh, brethren, you need to listen to what I have to say. Now, we know this is not James the apostle because of uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 2. So this is previous, right, before we get to chapter 15. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So James the apostle was martyred, all right? He was killed for his faith. This is not James the Apostle. Um, Acts 12, 17 says, But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, Report these things to James. Now again, this is Peter that was released. Report these things to James and to the brethren. And he went to another place. Again, James had already been killed earlier. So this is the Lord's brother. So of... Uh, the brothers mentioned in Matthew uh, thirteen fifty five. We know that James became a believer. Uh, we also know Judas, the last brother listed there in verse fifty five, became a believer. Jude one says, "Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who were called beloved uh, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ." Again, the brother of James. Well, the only James at this time was James the Lord's brother, that makes Jude, Judas, um, also the Lord's brother. So you go back to Matthew 13 and you see there that there were at least four brothers. And in verse 56, there's at least two sisters because it's plural, right? It's, and his sisters, are they not with us? So there's at least six more children. Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin, but Jesus was her firstborn. He was born while she was a, a virgin. There's a second issue here. Um, how did two people who grew up in Nazareth get to Bethlehem? This tells us. This is how two people who grew up in Nazareth got to Bethlehem. It's about 95 miles. Okay, now, I could hop in the car and get to the, on the turnpike and, and cover 95 miles and, you know, depending on if I'm sanctified at the moment or not, you know, <laughs> an hour and a half, let's say, right? So, we, so we, 95 miles to us is nothing. It's a day trip. It's, it's nothing. Not when you're walking, right? And if you're pregnant. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I would imagine that would be an unpleasant walk. Okay. Um, 
But how, so how, how did this, how did this happen? Um, well, keep your hand here. Go to Matthew uh, 2. So we can see the problem here. Matthew 2 tells us uh, where Jesus uh, was born and where the scripture said he, he would uh, be born. Uh, Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Go down to verse 6. This is a quote of the uh, prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah. Look at verse 8. And he sent, and he sent them to Bethlehem. So the scriptures clearly said uh, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. All right. But there was a problem. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. How did Jesus why was Jesus born in Bethlehem when his, when his parents are from Nazareth? You go back to Luke chapter 2. Uh, you look at um, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. But again, where was he from? He was from Galilee. Specifically, he was from Nazareth. So, Mary, of course, would have been two. That's where they would have met. So Mary and Joseph are from Galilee. They, they live in Nazareth. The problem is, however, the prophet said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. How are we going to get that to happen? How does that happen? Well, you, we know, verse 1, Luke 2, 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, all, uh, that a census be taken uh, of all the inhabited earth. And this uh, was the first census that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. All right, God moves on a grand scale and a personal level. The orders came from Caesar, but it was only to get a young expecting couple to the right location. Look at chapter 2, Luke two fifteen. When the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So it was on a grand scale of a worldwide or the known worldwide census and a personal level of two scared young people. The order came down from Caesar, but it was really from God. There's no greater contrast economically, socially, politically than between Caesar, all right, in verse 1, and the shepherds in verse 8. Yet God was working in both of their, li of, of their lives, all their lives. Um, God told the shepherds what to do through the angels. And God told Caesar what to do. The difference was Caesar didn't know it. The shepherds knew it because the angels told them. 
They know why they were going to Bethlehem. The angels told them to. Caesar had no idea why he was given this census, but God had told him to. Why? So that this couple from Nazareth could end up in, in Bethlehem. All right, what's the Savior's story? What is the Savior's story? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So far in this series, we heard Matthew tell the Christmas story. This morning, we heard Luke tell the Christmas story. Last week, we had John the Apostle tell us the Christmas story. Uh, he, was in, he was in the beginning, was the Word, and he, and he, he um, was with God, and he was God. But did Jesus ever tell us the Christmas story? I mean, if we want to find somebody's story, let's go right to the source. Did Jesus ever tell us the Christmas story? Well, in a way, yes. Hebrews 10, 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world. Now, the he is definitely Christ. You go back to chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ also, all right, you go to chapter 10, um, verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, here's what he said. Okay, he's going to tell us about Christmas. And he Quotes it, it comes from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And here it is. Therefore, when he comes to the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, God, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Again, we already saw it in, in Matthew 2, right? From Micah and, and, and also earlier in Luke. In the scroll of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God. In other words, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings uh, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law, then he said, behold, here's Jesus, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, that's the, the law, um, in order to establish the second. By this will, this will of God that Jesus came to fulfill, you have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What does Jesus tell us? Very quickly. Jesus tells us he came on purpose. Jesus tells us he came on purpose. On purpose. Um, he came to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. This is, again, Jesus' birth. This gets back to Luke 2, 14. Jesus' birth alone doesn't bring you peace with God. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brings you peace with God. Now, we see in our in Hebrews 10, he had to be born, he had to become flesh, he had to become a man so that he could die. So the birth is important, Christmas is important, Bethlehem's important, obviously. But if that was the last we'd heard of Jesus, it would have been a nice little story. But no, he came for a purpose. He came to be the ultimate sacrifice. 
He died for you. He died because of your sin. That was his purpose. Don't be fooled by this generic Christmas message, uh, messages you hear on the radio. Uh, no, or, the, in the, or in the movies. No, uh, he, he, he was born to die. And accepting that sacrifice on your behalf is what pleases God. And God grants his favor, his goodwill towards those who believe. So Jesus tells us he came on uh, purpose. Uh, Jesus tells us he's the only one fit for that purpose. Verse 8, after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, but nor have you taken pleasure in them. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do ultimately the job. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish uh, the second. So it took a body. Christ came to be born human. A body you have uh, desired uh, for me. Um, as a man, he could die. As God, his death could pay the infinite price. Verse 18. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. We don't need further sacrifice um, because he made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus tells us that he was delighted to fulfill that purpose. Verse 9. Um, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish um, the second. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 12. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't do it reluctantly, but he did do it for the Father. Jesus tells us that he is still fulfilling that purpose. Verse 10, Hebrews 10, 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering he perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The Christmas story isn't something that happened a long time ago. It is still relevant Today. Now, the, the third verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. He laid his glory by, he, he became flesh, he took on human flesh to die in our place. But in that, in that humiliation, as it's called, um, Philippians chapter 2, 
we find this. Jesus willingly laid aside all his rights and privileges as, as God in order to enter the world. Jesus and the New Testament writers frequently encourage us to do likewise. We are called to become servants so that we can minister to others. Let's pray. Father, as valuable as uh, Matthew's account of the Christmas story is and Luke's account of the Christmas story is and John's account of the Christmas story is, so is Jesus' account. When he came into the world, here's what he said, you have prepared a body for me to be the ultimate sacrifice. That is why Christmas. And to those who come to Christ in faith, they find goodwill. They find God's favor. Amen.